Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 40. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he told them. As they were untying the coat, the owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus and after their cloaks and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road as he was now approaching the path down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of God, peace on earth and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have always loved Palm Sunday. I love it. Even though as a kid, I distinctly remember being too shy to really want to walk around the sanctuary with my palm branch waving with all the rest of the children there at College Hill United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas. My parents, they would encourage me and encourage me, but I did not want to go walk up and down the really long aisles that are in that church as the congregation sang the opening hymn. Everyone would be looking at me. Even on the years I did it, I cringed as we walked around. I was too self-conscious to feel comfortable having all those eyes on me. Obviously, I got over that. (laughs) But in those years that I resisted, even in the years I was resisting being a part of that Palm Parade, I still loved Palm Sunday. I remember it as a fun and a bright day at church, the novelty of those palm branches, great music, pretty dresses, almost like Easter with not quite as many people in church. Palm Sunday was kind of a warm-up, right, to Easter, like the pregame rally before the big show that happened the next week. And I loved the story in the Bible, too. I was enthralled with the parade, the shouts of celebration, Hosanna, such a fun word to say. I loved all the joy that surrounded that moment of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And most of all, I loved the answer that Jesus gave these Pharisees when they asked him to tell his disciples to hush. Maybe because like Rebecca said, every kid has been told, why don't you just quiet down? And I thought Jesus said the best and the most clever thing when he said, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. I mean, isn't that an awesome line? It's really one of my favorite responses that Jesus gives anywhere in all of the Gospels. Because to me, it makes him sound happy. I guess it's possible for us to read that line and think that Jesus is annoyed, that he's like sniping at the Pharisees, but I don't hear it that way. I think he's happy. I think he says it with a smirk, with a twinkle in his eye. I think it makes him sound happy as the crowd, as as happy as the crowd around him is. And the crowd around him is really happy. They are showering him with love. They are pulling out all the stops to show that he is the guy, he is the king, 
He is the Savior. This is really a moment kind of like the team hoisting up their MVP on everyone's shoulders and carrying him around the field as the crowd cheers. But even, it's even more than that, actually, because the symbols they're using are deeply religious. I mean, first of all, Jesus is put on a donkey, which is straight out of the scriptures. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you. He's righteous and victorious. He's humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the offspring of a donkey. Now, the rabbis had made much of this prophecy that the Messiah would come in humility, not in military power, that he would come to save the people, but he would come riding on a donkey, not on a big giant war horse. And here's Jesus on his donkey riding into the city. Further, the crowd proclaims that Jesus is Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one sent by God to save them by shouting this refrain from Psalm 118, verse 26, which was a standard for pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. They say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, except here in Luke, they make it an even bigger deal, more intense, more joyful, because they use the word king, right? They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in Luke, they say, you heard, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. I wonder, does that remind you of any other thing we heard in the Gospel of Luke? Maybe the chorus of heavenly angels who appeared to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. Remember what they sang, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. So the joy of Christmas night is remembered in the air as the disciples are flinging their cloaks on the ground and hailing Jesus as their king. Now the Pharisees, they didn't like it. Of course they didn't like it. I mean, what do the Pharisees like in all of the gospel? But here, I'm not actually sure that the Pharisees are being outright hostile. I'm not sure in this moment they're plotting Jesus' downfall. In the Gospel of Luke, the Pharisees are actually not Jesus' main enemies. In several instances, a Pharisee invites Jesus to his house for dinner. They're maybe more curious about Jesus than anything else. So perhaps in this moment, what they're trying to do is keep Jesus safe, or at least keep Jesus safer. Maybe they think it's a bad idea to attract all this attention, the attention that Jesus will get for his big and loud entry into the capital city. Maybe they're not hostile, but they're nervous. Whatever their motivation, when they suggest to Jesus that his disciples should just tone it down, he says, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And I hear in that Jesus saying, guys, this party is inevitable. Pharisees, you want these people to be quiet, but this is so purely a moment for joy. You can't stop this celebration. Jesus seems to be saying that the party has a life beyond even Jesus himself, that the crowd is gonna do what the crowd is gonna do, and Jesus, he just accepts it, he embraces it, he sits on the donkey, he allows the parade, he embraces their shouts of him as king. He says if they were quiet, the earth itself would ring out with praises. To me, he seems to be fully in the moment. He's accepting their praises and their hopefulness. He is swept up in their joy. And I think it's beautiful, especially because we know 
that as Jesus does all this, embraces all this good, he does it knowing what is coming ahead. When I was a kid, Palm Sunday just seemed fun. If there was ever talk on that day, on that Sunday morning, about the dark turn that the story would take after this moment of celebration, I totally missed it. But ever since I've become a preacher, I can't read about the joy of Palm Sunday without thinking about what happens next in the story. And what happens next, of course, is the story of Jesus' passion. It's a story of drama, a story of pain, the story that takes him to the cross. And more years than not, as I have approached this day, Palm Sunday, and I've thought about what happens after Jesus gets to Jerusalem, it has made me a little resistant, actually, to the joy of the triumphal entry. I see the crowds throwing their cloaks in front of Jesus' donkey, and I think that is a big waste of energy. They should have been planning for what was coming next. I mean, they had plenty of reason to know themselves that it was not going to be all fun and celebration once they got to Jerusalem. Jesus himself had made it very clear to them, or at least he had tried to. The scripture seems to say that every time he said it, they just didn't get it. Luke 9:22, Jesus says, the human one, that's what he calls himself, or you might have heard it said the son of man, The human one must suffer things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed. He said it straight out. He's going to be killed and be raised on the third day. A few verses later, Luke 9, 44, he says, the human one is about to be delivered to human hands, but they didn't understand this statement. Its meaning was hidden from them, so they couldn't grasp it. And then in Luke 18, 31, just a chapter before that moment of entry in Jerusalem, it says, Jesus took the 12 aside, and he said, look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything written about the human one by the prophets will be accomplished. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be ridiculed, mistreated, and spit upon, and after torturing him, they will kill him. He lays it all out. On the third day, he'll rise up but it says the 12 understood none of these words. They could have known if they'd had ears to hear. So too often on Palm Sunday, I have seen the crowd shouting, Hosanna, and I think, oh sure, you're happy now. Wait till you see what's coming. Wait till you figure out how hard this is all gonna be. Wait until the Roman guards come for him. Where will you be then? And we know where they'll be. They'll be asleep. Or they'll be betraying him. Or they'll be hiding. Or they'll be denying him. Or they'll be running for cover. They will be gone. But you know what? Even if they didn't know in that triumphal moment entering Jerusalem, they didn't know. Jesus knew. He knew it was going to happen. He knew he was headed to his death. And I think he knew that even his closest disciples were going to fail when things got hardest. He knew he was going to walk those final steps to the cross alone. And still, and still, here he is at this entry to Jerusalem, riding on his donkey in a spontaneous parade, soaking up the joy of the crowd, telling the Pharisees with a grin on his face that even the rocks would sing with praise if the people did not. 
Now, we've been looking together for the last five weeks at what Jesus considers the good life. By listening closely to his sermon on the plain back in that early part of Luke's gospel, we've learned a lot about how to live closer to the kingdom of God, how to approach life like a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus' words in that sermon were so clear. He gave us a challenge, a challenge to live into, and we remember that as Jesus asks us to live, God gives us the grace to live in that way. Jesus taught us so plainly by what he said, gave us clear directions about it, what, it, what it means to live a righteous life. He said, forgive others, don't judge. Treat others as you would wish to be treated. Give, pray. But you know, Jesus also taught us by what he did, by his actions. And I think this moment, this moment of triumphal entry is a moment like that where Jesus is teaching us a challenging and an important lesson by what he's doing as much as by what he's saying. As we see Jesus riding on his donkey, surrounded by joy and celebration of the crowd, even while that shadow of his passion hangs in the background, I think it's a reminder to us that living this good life, living this life of discipleship, it means embracing the joy that's right in front of us, even if we're in the midst of a trial. Jesus is showing us that with the grace of God in our lives, we can have moments of deep joy and celebration even when life around us is hard and we know that suffering is to come. I mean, I, I just find it remarkable that Jesus, knowing everything that was about to come, that he could quip to the Pharisees, the party cannot stop right now. <laughs> right? The stones would be shouting if we did. I hear him saying, this is a celebration. This is a moment of goodness. This is a moment of joy. Don't stomp on it with your worry and your fear and your anxiety about the future. Just put that away for the moment. I wonder if you've ever done that, stomped on a moment of joy and celebration by focusing instead on worry and fear and anxiety about the future. Have you ever let what is hard about the larger story drown out the moment of joy that's right in front of you? I suspect most of us have. We've given fear and worry so much power that we let them overtake and overpower whatever goodness is right in front of us and present to us. We've let the hard things we know are coming rob us of the good things that are right in front of us. I suspect it happens to parents a lot. I mean, those of you who are parents, especially with kids at home, you spend a lot of time worrying about your kids, right? About even long future things. Like, what are they gonna do when they grow up? Who will they marry? Will they marry? Will they live close to me or are they gonna be off in Australia or something? But you also have plenty to worry about not so long into the future. Like, will they get their homework done tonight? Or what will the grades be this semester? Or why can't they clean their room when I ask them to? Or does this laundry all over their floor mean that they're gonna to have to live in my house forever? You worry about, are they making good friends? Should they be in more activities or less activities? Do they have too much screen time? Every day presents you with this huge list of things that you can worry about. 
And I wonder how often do those worries become the biggest voice in your head or become the biggest thing in your relationship with your child? How often do they just crowd out the joy of having your precious, funny, sweet, kind child right in front of you? Do you sometimes miss the moment of goodness and joy that's right here, worrying about what's coming down the road? Or maybe this happens to us when a loved one is sick. We worry about what's to come, about the pain ahead or the chances of recovery. And those are completely legitimate things to worry about and pay attention to, but how often do we focus so much on things in the future that we can't control that we miss out on the person who's right in front of us? Are we able to make space for moments of joy and laughter and even celebration with our dear one? Or do we let the larger story of illness push out any moment of goodness and light that's right here in front of us? Or maybe it's happened to all of us during this year of pandemic living. God knows we have had plenty to worry about and plenty of hard choices to make. There is a larger story of grief and pain in which we are all still participating, but it doesn't need to rob us of our joy. How many times in the last year have we let a moment of goodness or celebration or fun pass us by because we were focused on what was to come rather than, rather than what is right here in front of us? You know, Jesus' celebration on Palm Sunday, this moment of triumphal entry, it doesn't stop the hard and the difficult path he walks to the cross. But maybe it's essential to help him get ready for it. Perhaps this moment of joy with his disciples is the thing that he most needed before the whole world came unraveled. As we celebrate Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem today, let's see that Jesus is modeling for us to take joy when joy comes to us. He's showing us how to embrace the good things of God when they are right here in our hands and not let the future steal for us the fullness of life that's right here, right now. My challenge to you this week is a simple one. Read the story of Jesus' last days Sit down with the scripture sometime in the next six days. I don't care which gospel you read, but if you want a suggestion, read Luke, because we've been hanging out in the gospel of Luke all during Lent. Sit down and read the story of the Passion, what happens to him from this moment of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem until he is placed in the grave on Friday night. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please contact me and we will get you one so you can read this powerful story. Embrace the story in its fullness. Let it sink into your heart. Let it show you the goodness of God and the power of Jesus' love. Let it remind you of the fullness of a Savior who shows us how to live in moments of joy and moments of agony, covered always with the unending grace of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.